Hey, Corner Office listeners, you can find us on all streaming platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to check out our Instagram at the Corner Office Pod. Now, enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Romeo's Sports Bar and Grill. Conveniently located in Scarborough, Yarmouth, and Topsom, Romeo's Bar and Grill has been a great atmosphere for food, drinks, sports, and family fun since 1989. I've spent many hours inside of Romeo's, and it is my go-to place whenever I need somewhere to watch the big game. My personal favorite item on the menu is the chicken parmesan pizza, but there are plenty of other options like burgers, wings, and appetizers galore. If you are looking for a spot to bring the family, or just a place to relax and enjoy some food, give Romeo's a try. Now back to the action. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Corner Office. Uh, it's been a minute since the, we've we've recorded one, um, you know, just a couple busy scheduling days, and, um, you know, we're, we're happy to be back with you right now to talk about some playoff basketball. Um, and, you know, we got, we got a really good episode coming up for you and some new technology that we're testing out today. So hopefully you guys enjoy the mic quality. I mean, I know that Jack and I have been messing around with it for a couple of days now, and it's been pretty fun. But, um, you know, we got a great segment coming up for you guys, so hope you guys stick around till the end. And as always, I'm Alex Penders. And I'm Jack Byrne. And, you know, we haven't really been around for the first couple games of this new playoff series, so we haven't gotten a chance to dissect the last series, which, I mean, as all of you know now, is too late to do. But, I mean, today it is May 7th, and it's Sunday, and the Celtics play Game 4 against the Philadelphia 76ers in a little bit less than an hour. And I'm glad that we got on recorded before that so that we could talk about how big this game is for the Celtics if we can steal both away games in Philadelphia and go back home with a 3-1 to lead. Is it not? Yeah, this is a massive game for any Celtics fan, anybody out there who is in the city of Boston, especially coming off that game one loss that was really kind of a backbreaker. Um, we already stole a game in Philadelphia, which is a huge deal to us, but let's be clear, the Celtics own Joel Embiid. And they've continually owned Joel Embiid for multiple years. So I think that this Philadelphia team is a little bit more scary when Joel Embiid isn't playing against the Celtics, which is funny because they get up for games against the MVP of the league. And it's kind of hard to say that, you know, Philadelphia is better without the MVP of the league because they're not. Um, But I think that game one kind of caught the Celtics off guard a little bit because they were anticipating Embiid playing. And then when he was out for that first game and James Harden was just able to run the offense and look like Rockets James Harden again, I don't think that they were really anticipating that. Um, And thus, they weren't nearly as up for the game as they probably should have been. So, you know, going back to Philadelphia, it is a scary playoff environment. They do have some great fans over in in Sixers town. but yeah, I'm excited to see if the Celtics team can can steal two here and go up 3-1 coming back to the Garden. Well, I think an important distinction for you to make is that the Celtics or the Celtics own playoff Joel Embiid because he did yes. take us for 50 yes. in he's the last in, game. He's that one we in ten. against him. So correct, but he's one in ten in in the playoffs against the Celtics. That right, should so be stated. I think. I agree. We the Celtics own playoff Joel Embiid, but I don't want to like jinx us before the game today. Uh, I think yeah, that there's that. I think that there's a case to be made um, for the fact that Joel Embiid is probably still a little hobbled by his knee injury and is pushing through something there. Uh, but I think that the biggest part of this team coming back, and I agree with what you said, that they play better without Joel Embiid because it forces other guys to play like we know they can play, like 
It makes Tyrese Maxey a secondary scorer instead of a third option, and it makes James Harden step into that role of being the guy on the team that he had to be for so long in Houston. So I do agree with that. Um, Totally just lost my train of thought and forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. Makes uh, sense. Um, oh, I, think- I do remember. Okay, so I think that something that people aren't talking about is that as we see with so many other veterans in this league, it's hard for the older guys to have good games in back-to-back days. Like, we see it with Anthony Davis on the Lakers. Like, he goes off for whatever he had, like 40 and 20 rebounds one game and then can barely even play in the second game. So, uh, I think that for these old guys, it's really hard for them to string together two consistently great performances. And after James Harden went off for 45 in the first game, we saw him be lackluster in the second game. And that's due to the fact that he's old. And it's due to the fact that Jalen Brown has just clamped on him. With Jalen Brown as primary ball defender in the half court, I mean, there's like 28 sets that they've been in, and James Harden scored one point in that. So I think that the way that we, like the defensive adjustments that Missoula made after the first game were great, and we've been noticing it ever since. I I agree. I think the Celtics team is one that, has gotten away from what Ime Udoka's um, agenda was for them. You know what I mean? I think that that Celtics team under Ime was much more defensive-based, and that's why we were so successful is because our defense fueled our offense, and we had great offensive players. Like, let's be clear, like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are, are two fantastic offensive players, but we also had the defensive player of the year and Marcus Smart. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are both above average to good wing defenders. I mean, you're seeing it in this series with the way that James Harden has been guarded by Jalen Brown so far. Um, and then we have Rob Williams, who is all, always someone that should be, um, you know, in depe- defensive, um, like for an all-defense team consideration. So all of those things are great, you know, for the Celtics. The major issue that they've been having this this year is I think that they've been trying to just outscore more opponents than they, they probably should have because they have so much dynamic versatility on offense. And usually that hasn't really worked out. And we've seen that most of the games where it's more low scoring, you know, they're more successful because that's the that's the style of play that they that they used to have. Um, whereas when they when they try and do a shooting fest against a team like the Atlanta Hawks and say like game five or something like that, you know, like you see the Celtics team start to start to flounder a little bit because they can't get stops when they need them. And, um, you know, that's that's a little bit concerning going forward in this series. If you look at the wins that we've had so far this series, we have given up 102 points on Friday and 87 on Wednesday. So our our offense still does come from our defense, and that's the way that this team's built. I don't think that you could name a better team in the NBA in transition than the Boston Celtics. And I think that part of the success that we've been seeing is Rob Williams has had a great series, and it's because early on in the games, they've been getting into two-man action with guys like Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams, and we talked about them being a great two-man duo in the last episode that we recorded, but they have been yep. so dangerous off the lob that Philly has had no, um, they've just been like mobbing the paint and like packing the paint and that leaves shooters open. So last game we started four for four from three and went off to a 10 Oh run, like in the first quarter. And that's because our spacing is so good with the starting five that we have that they have to press out and respect the shot or we're going to get a bucket inside. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that that's a that's a good assessment of it. I don't think Philadelphia is nearly as dynamic a defensive team as we are. Um, I think one through five, we have much better defensive players, and I think that that's going to really be the tone setter for the rest of the series is can our defense play to the level that it is capable of for us to get the series done? And I think that if the Celtics defense plays the way that it can play, right, the way that it should be playing, and Jason Tatum starts to be a little less inconsistent uh, on the offensive end of the ball, I think that the Celtics can can get the series done soon. But a huge game nonetheless coming up. Um, you said in an hour, right? Yeah, three thirty. So, in thirty minutes now, we have we have a huge game coming up for the Boston Celtics and for the future of of this of this series. Right. So, I mean, that's. I mean, we're gonna see that next. But let's move on to the series that is after the Celtics game today, and that is uh, Nuggets versus the Phoenix Suns. And I'm interested on your take on yeah. that game the other day. I th- I think that it was a must game must win game for Phoenix um at home against the Denver Nuggets to avoid going down 3-0. Uh I honestly was looking forward to seeing the Nuggets show a little bit more heart than they did, but Kevin Durant had 39 and Booker had 47 and when those guys are scoring it's really hard to stop them. So I'm really interested in your take on where this series is going and whether you think that Phoenix has it in them to because they're not going to beat the Nuggets in less than 7 now. But Agreed. Um, I'm just interested in whether or not you think that Phoenix has what it takes to bring that series to seven games because everybody knows that game seven, anything can happen, but they just have to get there and they have to win three games out of the next four in order to get there. Yeah, this series has a lot of of discernible factors that are going for it. Um, First things first, Devin Booker has kind of been overshadowed in the playoffs because Jimmy Butler has been playing fantastic, but... If you have Jimmy Butler as the number one player in the playoffs so far, Devin Booker must be number two. He has been spectacular in both their first round series and their second round series so far. Um, So kudos to him and kudos to the Suns team that I still think is probably the best team uh, in the Western Conference when everything is clicking. Here's the thing that comes to this this Suns-Nuggets matchup is number one, the Suns probably have the best starting five in the league when CP3 is playing, which he did not in Game 3. And number two, um, this Nuggets team is probably the most much more deep. They have much more depth than this than the Suns team does. And I think that you see that a lot when, when the Suns go to their bench. It's it's kind of like they, they don't get a ton of bench points. It's mostly their starters who are getting the job done. I think on either side of the ball for the Nuggets and for the Suns, I think the X factor for the Nuggets would be Jamal Murray. When he's on his A game that team is really scary because it gives them a secondary score behind Nikola Jokic who can really do some damage. And for the Suns, I think it's DeAndre Ayton. You know, he's been kind of passive and people have been very critical of him for that uh, throughout his career, but especially coming up in this series, I mean, he's gotten a ton of criticism for not being nearly as aggressive as he probably should have, especially when it comes to rebounding the basketball, which is something that he should be doing a better job of if we're being completely honest with ourselves. Um, So, all of those things considered, I think that the Suns have enough pieces to push this to seven games, but I think that this game four is probably the most important game of the entire series because if the Nuggets can win at Phoenix, I don't see them losing at home. So you're saying it's a must win for Phoenix? I am, yes. I think this is a must win for Phoenix. All right, so I'm really interested in talking about the Jimmy Butler versus Devin Booker comparison, and I'm just going to talk to you from a numerical standpoint. Jimmy Butler in the playoffs is averaging 34.4 points, 
6.4 rebounds and 4.4 assists. Those are, those yeah. are great numbers, right? Yeah. All right, let's talk about Devin Booker. Devin Booker in the playoffs is averaging 36.9 points, 5 rebounds, and 6.9 assists. That's better in every yeah. category than Jimmy Butler. Every statistical but, category. But, yeah. but nobody's talking about him, and I think that, to be honest with you, I think partially it's because he plays late games, so people aren't actually watching on the East Coast uh, any Devin Booker games. I think that's true. I, I also but at the same the at the same time I think Jimmy that Butler. hold on I think that it's because yeah. Jimmy Butler is an eight seed and went for like fifty five against the Bucks and eliminated them. So correct, yeah. Like obviously, yeah. like I I agree. I think that Jimmy Butler has been the best player in the playoffs, and that's just because I don't think that the Heat have anyone else behind him to help him win a series. But I think that Devin Booker has been phenomenal, even though it's hard it's hard to make that argument when you have Kevin Durant on your team. Uh, I think that Devin Booker has been absolutely phenomenal through these first two series. I think Devin Booker has been the Suns' best player so far, um, and I don't really think that's debatable. I think that KD is a nice piece to have, and of course he's one of the best players in, in the game today, and he's he's Kevin Durant, and you want him on your team. And I think if you're the Suns, looking back on that trade that you made at the trade deadline, I think you make that 10 out of 10 times. I think any front office makes that trade 10 out of 10 times. Um, Wait, hold on. Before we get too Devin far, Booker before is, we get too far, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah. about this the other day, just like okay. watching. I, I I was looking through the numbers of the Phoenix Suns like games so far. It just doesn't feel like we've gotten a Kevin Durant playoff game yet. It feels like we haven't seen him at his best in the playoffs yet. It always feels like throughout every game that we've watched, I haven't watched and been like, oh yeah, this is Kevin Durant now. This is Kevin Durant's game. I've always been like, oh, this is, you know, Devin Booker's kind of running the show right now. And I think that in order for them to win game four and take it to game seven, they have to have one, two consecutive Kevin Durant games strung together. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that Kevin Durant has been a little bit more passive than we've previously seen him on this Suns team, but I also think that that's him accepting more of a role of that. Um, Look, I, I... I think it's hard to argue the fact that if you have Devin Booker as your primary option and Kevin Durant as your secondary option, your offense is pretty dynamic, right? The issue with the Suns right now is on the defensive end of the ball is that no one can stop Nikola Jokic, even though there was a small, there was a low scoring game in game two that the Suns came out and won. Um, If this Nuggets team gets going on offense, like that can be very concerning if you're a Phoenix Suns team. Um, Here's, here's my issue with the series is that there haven't been a ton of close games. I feel like most of the time for most of the games in this series, most of the games have been decided within the first half. You know, it hasn't really been a series where it's been a lot of back and forth, which is too bad for a fan perspective, right, where we want to see these two teams who are going to have just a dynamic shootout on offense, which is what I want to see. Um, so let's hope that these games start to, like, pick up a little bit and become a little bit more close because, you know, there are not a lot of lead changes late game, and, and that's I, I think that that's too bad. And that's similar to another series that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, so let's move on. Okay. Let's talk. Let's move on to the Lakers. No, let's save that. Let's talk about Knicks first. Knicks Heat. Fine, fine. Knicks, Knicks Heat. Yep. Um, you want to you wanna give me a take there? I need to gather my thoughts for a second. Go for it. Okay. Here's what I'll say. Um, This Heat team, as a Celtics fan, is the one team in the NBA right now that I do not want to see in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, 
I hate whenever the Celtics play the Heat. They have a lot of history going back to the days of LeBron James and the decision and all that type of stuff. Um, and including with these teams where, I mean, maybe three out of the last four Eastern Conference Finals have been played with either the Heat and the Celtics in them. Um, so that's a little bit concerning for me. This is not an eight seed. This Heat team is not an eight seed. They have proven time and time again that when it comes to the playoffs, this team puts it together. And I don't know what that is for them. I don't know what the what the thing is that, that, that makes them play the way that they play, but man, are they incredible to watch in the playoffs. Um, this Knicks team, on the other hand, they're just not as dynamic. And I don't think that they're they're they have enough of weapons to to compete with this with this Heat team going back to is this game three? Uh, it's for them? game game four. It's, it's game four. We're in Miami. Game, for four. game four. Okay, so they are in Miami right now. So I see Miami winning both of the games in Miami. Um, yeah, and that's tomorrow night. They're up two one. But you know, Jalen Brunson has still been fantastic um, thus far in the series. Um, but he really has no help on this Heat team right now. I mean, the one game that they've won, Jimmy Butler didn't play, right? So that's that's concerning. Um, Julius Randle still hasn't looked fantastic, I would say. R.J. Barrett Julius Randle hasn't had well. a good game in the playoffs yet. Well, he, he played fine in game two. He had 25 and 10 in game two. So oh, he had 25-12 and eight. Been. Okay, that's a good game. Yeah, like that's not – I wouldn't say that's bad. But he also didn't play game one, which they lost, I guess. Um, but then they got blown out last night, right? They got absolutely manhandled. Julius Randle played abysmally. R.J. Barrett didn't play great. Jalen Brunson's still at his 20 because that's what he does. And Jimmy Butler had another Jalen Brunson had ball, Jalen so Brunson had, had 20 on 7 for 20 from the field. He shot 35%. Yeah, so not great. Not great. Julius Randle shot 26%. Um, but this, As a team, they shot 20% from from three uh they missed eight free throws and only shot 34 percent from the field so not great yeah yeah not great um so this heat team it really it really comes down to the fact that they can play offense through jimmy butler and they have a dynamic defensive team losing tyler hero is still a big deal for them i think going forward because i think that the reason that I think that the Celtics will come out of the East um, after they win this Philadelphia series, I think the winner of the Philadelphia versus Celtics series comes out of the East. Um, and the reason why I think that is because I think that they just have, have too much depth on their on their rosters to uh, to lose to a team like the Heat right now. You know, I think that the Heat will have that same problem that the Celtics ran into in the finals where they just kind of gassed out and weren't able to continue to, um, to play against that Warriors team. Um, and I don't see this Heat team being able to survive without the sixth man of the year. You know what I mean? Well, let's uh, – first of all, he's not the sixth man of the year. The sixth man of the year is Malcolm Brogdon. I know. It's Malcolm Brogdon. But it, it probably should have been Tyler Hero, in my opinion. Uh, you'll never hear me admit that. But I think that, I think I that the biggest thing that – biggest takeaway from the series that I have is that you and I, for the first time in our lives, are going to have to become Knicks fans because – the best case scenario for the Celtics is seeing this game goes this series go seven. Because I agree with Correct. you. Neither of these teams are particularly deep in their bench. Like the New York Knicks play Josh Hart for thirty five minutes. Um and Yeah, and he's a fine role no, he's player. He's a great I think that he's one of the best role players in the league, but at the same time I don't think that he's like a star role if in any form of the imagination. Yeah, no, definitely not. So yeah, definitely not. I just don't think that either of these teams have enough bench depth to 
continue on to another series after this. And that plays a large part to the amount of games that they've played. Um, and if we see this series go six, if the Knicks can push it to at least six, then uh, the winner of the Philadelphia Celtics series will be in great shape moving forward. So I guess that we're Knicks Agreed. fans for the next I couple agree. days, right? We're Knicks fans. Yeah. Let's go Knicks, time. baby. Let's go Mecca. Let's go Knicks. Blue. Go blue Knicks. And orange. Let's go Knicks. It's all about the Knicks, baby. I'm basically all Spike Lee. Knicks. I've been Spike Lee. The Knicks are the balls, and there's no other reason they call why. Me Spike Lee. <laughs> All right, so enough about that series. Yeah, no, I'm. I, I, I yeah, actually, I don't really have much more to say. I actually would really like to talk to you about the Lakers Warriors series, and I watched this game last night, and the Warriors had a seven point lead at the end of the first quarter, and I was like, man, they are just knocking down shots. Clay Thompson's hot again. Nobody can stop him. Like this could get bad for the Lakers. And then LeBron didn't take a first. Uh, he didn't even take a shot in the first quarter for the first time in his playoff career which he's played yeah. almost 300 games in. And I was a little worried for the Lakers, but then I just I looked down, I looked back up, and they're miraculously up 20. Like, th- this series can go so many directions, and I just, uh, I, you know, I have I really want to talk about the matchups on the floor, but I want to hear your, your take on the game first. I, it's so hard to keep up with this series. I won't even I won't even lie to you because every single game has just been a massive lead swing in the direction of one or the other of these teams. Right? The first game, Lakers win by 5. That was a great game to watch. Game 2, the Warriors come out and completely dominate. And then game 3, you think, "Oh, maybe we're going to have another close game." And then the Warriors just fall apart in the second quarter and then can't get the lead back and they lose by 30. Like What's going on in that series right now? I, you know what I mean. I, like, I feel you. like I have no I f- idea. It, it it feels like one of one or either of the teams just doesn't want to show up every type of every single game so far. Um, aside from game one, which was a close fought battle, I think that the X factor for this Warriors team right now is probably always going to be Clay Thompson. Um, I think when he's shooting the ball well, this Warriors team plays well, and I think that when he's shooting the ball poorly, this Warriors team plays poorly. You see it last night. You know, he only had 15 points in 33 minutes. Um, And then in game two, when they won by 30, he had 30 points in 40 minutes, right? So it's just, it's up to, it's up to the way that the Warriors hit shots. I mean, I think that everybody knows that a team that shoots threes at the volume of the Warriors needs to make threes in order to win games because the free throw disparity in the series has been ridiculous so far, right? The Lakers have gone to the line almost two times the times that the Warriors have, but that's just because of the way that they play offense so differently. Um, that being said, it's, 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 it's a series that that's constantly confused me so far, just because I don't really know like what to expect going into the next game, because neither team has given me a consistent performance and said, Oh, this is who we're going to be right. It's AD will have a really good game and then he will disappear in the next game. LeBron will be is good for 20 and 20 every night. Right. Um, like, what's Draymond going to do? What's Kevon Looney going to give you? What's Andrew Wiggins going to give you for the Warriors side? What's Clay Thompson going to give you, right? Like, it's it's it just keeps changing every single game that we've seen, and it changed every single game of the last two series that they both had. So I'm not really sure, you know, who to pull for because I don't like either of these teams. I don't like the Warriors, and I don't like the Lakers. Um, 
and I'm just I'm just I'm I'm at a loss as to as to how to predict this series going forward. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the thing that I want to talk about most is um you talked about Anthony Davis for a little bit and how he will show up one game and then not show up another and we we touched on that a little bit earlier in the episode, but I think that it's similar to the scenario of James Harden where he's at the age where he can't consistently go out there and play that many minutes. But this is a series where he has to. And he has to play 40 minutes a game if he is if that team is going to win because their defense is not the same without him on Anthony the court. Davis is 30. He's 30 years old. Is this not the prime of his career? Should this not be the best years that he's possibly giving Let's, you as a okay. franchise? I, I agree with that, but at the same time, he is so injury-prone that we both know that yeah, him, being, that's true. him being on the floor in general is just a huge deal. And he needs to be able to be out there 40 minutes a night because when he gets off the floor, Steph Curry is going to dice up that Lakers defense. And when he's on the floor, he can blitz that screen and be an actual, like, blocking threat but they have no one behind him to to run the paint so the Warriors if you watch the game the Warriors cook the Lakers when Anthony Davis is off the floor but when he's there they have to completely change their style of offense from any other team that they play in the entire league and that comes down to Anthony Davis and I think that someone that isn't getting talked enough about in this series is Jared Vanderbilt he's one of the best yeah. defenders on this Laker team and he is doing a great job. They're trying to pick on him in like screen and roll scenarios and they're doing a great job blitzing Steph Curry off the off the screen and then dropping into like a like a like a relaxed defense and making him pass out. Like he hasn't been shooting the ball at the same numbers that he has before. And the only reason that they were even in the game the other night is because Klay Thompson was hitting some unrealistic shots off the bounce. So I think that Jared Vanderbilt is a huge piece to this offense and has to stay on the floor, but the only reason that he he has to not be an offensive liability. He was 0 for 5 from the floor last night, and if he can even shoot the ball at 30% from 3, I think that he's one of the most valuable assets you can have on that team right now, going against a team such as the Golden State Warriors. Um, it comes down, yeah, to, him. I don't, it comes I don't down to him, it comes down to D'Angelo Russell, who yeah, went we're just going to run the entire starting five. Went, uh, I absolutely agree. Went crazy <laughs> in the first quarter yesterday and then completely disappeared. Um, and I think that this series is built on role players. Like if you look at Andrew Wiggins, who is one of the only guys on this team who you can argue has a mismatch and should be dominant um, under the hoop. And Kevon Looney has to play a huge role in offensive rebounding on this team going up against Anthony Davis and so far he's done an okay job of that we saw in game two he had like 12 offensive rebounds um but it comes down to the role players and the little guys on these teams who are going to have to get it done for either side in my opinion yeah I agree I think that I think that the way that we just spoke about entire rosters basically just speaks to the to the inconsistency at which both of these teams can play aside from their star players. You know what I mean? Like, you know what Steph Curry is going to give you every single time he goes out there. He's going to give you some ridiculous shots. He's going to make more threes than he misses most of the time, right? And he's going to be, you know, your primary ball handler and probably your primary scorer on this Warriors team. So he's good for, say, 30 points a night. 
And then you got LeBron James over there who's probably good for 20 and 10 every night. You know, he's going to be consistent. He's going to continue to get to the rim. He's going to get a bunch of free throws. He's going to make his shots when they're open. And although he's not the same type of player that he was, say, even a year ago, maybe, um, but let alone like five or five or six years ago, right? He's still one of the best players in the league, and he's still incredibly consistent with his scoring and with his playmaking. What? You know, so he's not the same player that he was a couple of years ago, as I was trying to say. Um, but, like, he's still consistent enough to where he's going to go out there and he's going to give you 20 and 10 every night. And he's going to be a consistent playoff scorer. And, of course, he's still going to be, you know, a playmaker and making and making the correct plays on offense and the correct reads and stuff. So, besides those two main guys on, on either side of the ball for the Warriors and for the Lakers and LeBron and, and uh, Steph Curry, I feel like all of the Lakers team and all of this Warriors team can be a bit inconsistent. And that's something that we're going to have to be looking forward to going into the next series and continuing with this own series itself. So give me someone that you like the, the ideal outcome out of this series for you, because personally I don't like either of these teams, but I don't want to see the Warriors continue in the playoffs. So yeah, do you agree? Let's go. Uh, Lakers. That's my same take. I'm, I'm, I will never say let's go Lakers because I'm, I'm a chronic, I'm a chronic Celtics fan, which means that I'm not a fan of the Lakers, and I'm a chronic Celtics fan, which means that I'm not a fan of the Warriors. I just have a lot more, you know, pain in my heart for that um, 2022 Celtics team versus that Warriors team, you know. So I mean, like, I wasn't as big of a basketball fan when when the Kobe Bryant days were around, or and I wasn't alive to see like the Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson rivalry and all that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, like the Lakers and me haven't really had uh, an experience where I've been like, oh, I hate the Lakers. You know what I mean? Because they've never really been that good aside from when they just got LeBron um, for the entirety of my of my personal experience as an NBA fan. So thus, I, I think that, you know, the Warriors dynasty being how it has been for so long, I think it needs to come to an end, and I'm I'm really happy to see that happen in this series. In seven games would be my... I'm praying on the Warriors' downfall, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too a bit. Me too a bit. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our... I mean, it's not it's not like a, like a preview or anything, but kind of just our thoughts on these series so far, and we're going to kick it to ourselves in studio for Microscope of the Week. All right, and we are back with Microscope of the Week. Um, Microscope? Alex, gonna... There's no way I just said that. You did. Cut it. Redo. All right, Microscope of no, the Week. No, we're leaving it in. I'm sorry. Microscope of the Week. Um, Alex, you go first. Okay. So, if you've been listening to our microscopes for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've we've been covering this Dylan Brooks saga pretty pretty heavily. Um, because he's gone from one of our favorite players over here at the corner office pod to, to, you know, a place where I feel like us as basketball fans, we now start to, um, we're now starting to, to, to get the general vibe of the public, which is, oh, this guy's really not that likable. You know, I think you, we've known that that, we've known that since he shot a logo three against Duke, by the way, you and I, let's make that clear. Yes. Yes, that's true. Coach um, K tried, okay? Yeah, dude, I forgot all about that. That's a good point. 
either way, you know, we've, we've kind of been off the Dylan Brooks hate train for a bit because I feel like most of the stuff that he was getting was unwarranted. Um, but now you see stuff coming out about the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies will not re-sign him under any circumstance is what their execs said, which is just a crazy statement to think of considering he was probably one of your main starters this year. Well, and probably okay, your primary okay. defender. The Grizzlies and Brooks's agent are both mad at Shams because apparently he did overstate the under any circumstances. Apparently that's not a thing. But it is. Like, we know that it is. Yeah, we know that it is. We we see we see we see right through that. We see right through that. So, with that being said, Mr. Jayburn, I would like to know where you think Dylan Brooks will land this year in free agency. Long gone tigers. <laughs> the Guangdong Tigers. <laughs> Dylan Brooks and Jimmer Fredette are going me. to be a. I was not. Cur- I did not see that one coming. See, he, <laughs> Jimmer, he asked me. Jimmer Fredette and Dylan Brooks. He asked me to set that one up, and he was a- like, "I got something coming for you, <laughs> dude." <laughs> Jimmer Fredette and uh, Dylan Brooks are going to be like Shaq and Kobe on the Shanghai Sharks next year. I swear to God, they are taking the Chinese League trophy. And then, yeah, and then they dude. might add Dwight Howard, take him from Taiwan or wherever he is, and make the best big three of all time. That I that I believe. That I believe. Dwight Howard has been killing it. He's been killing it overseas. I can't <laughs> Honestly, believe that. I don't, I don't care. I, I don't really like Dylan Brooks and um I would I don't know what team I think the A team is going to gamble on him. I they, think he'll go to the Bucks. Uh, That's my pick. I mean I could see it, but uh, someone's gonna gamble on him. I don't think it's gonna be a big team. I think it's gonna be someone smaller. But really, I, mean, I guess we'll see. You think they're gonna, they're going to send him to a team that's going to give him more license to be kind of a kind of a a dirtbag? Someone can afford. I guess not, because some championship team can afford to not pay him anything. And be like, if you come in here, you are not allowed to shoot fifteen shots a game. Right, which he shouldn't be, because you're not him. Yeah, good point. Good point. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad for your insight there. Um, thank you, Shaq, for for joining us as always. Um, and that's that's kind of all we got for the Dylan Brooks saga until he gets signed by somebody, and then the internet will go crazy. I'm sure. But what do you got this week? Eh? All right. So I heard this on part of my take this morning, and I think that it's a really, it's a really um, they they described it as a fact that sounds really cool but isn't really all that cool, and it's a uh, that every coach since the beginning of the Warriors dynasty that has won an NBA championship uh, has been fired. And that sounds really cool, except um, it's really only Nick Nurse, Bud, and um, Ty Lu. And Nick yeah. Nurse and Bud now, and for those of you who don't know, Mike Budenholzer, um, both have been fired and are looking for new jobs. And they're both in my opinion, good enough coaches. So I think that for my microscope of the week, I wanted to talk about potential landing destinations for them and where you see them. And I'm going to go first. I'm going to talk about Nick Nurse. Now that there's an open coaching spot in Milwaukee, it has to be there, right? It has to be Milwaukee. That would be my pick. Look, I think that Nick Nurse won the coach of the year two years ago. 
you know. So did Dwayne Casey. I, I think it's I think it's a big deal with the Raptors where they have a coach of the year and then they're like, yeah, we don't need you, and then they fire them. Um, but you know, I think that he lost a locker room over in Toronto, which is too bad considering you know that that team feels like a team that's dwindling towards a direction of we have no direction, which is too bad for um, you know the overseas market. I, I don't know why I said overseas. The the across the border market of of the NBA. Um, but that being said, I still think that uh, Coach Nick Nurse is probably one of the top 10 coaches in the league, in the NBA. Um, and I'm going to stand by that. And I think that the firing of Mike Bultenholzer opens up a position for Nick Nurse to come into that Milwaukee Bucks team and take over the reins of a team that has a legitimate chemistry, uh, a legitimate, like, you know, they have an identity um, and, you know, they have a star and, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I personally think that that's the perfect fit for a guy like Nick Nurse, who I still believe is one of the better basketball minds in the sport right now. Yeah, and I fully agree with you there. I think that that one is an obvious one, um, but maybe a less obvious one is where does Budenholzer land? Because I, I think that he will pick up a job before next year, but where is that is it toronto do they trade coaching jobs i don't think so i don't think bud wants to go to toronto i don't think so either no i don't i don't think so what other open positions Um, are there yeah i i don't know where mike budenholzer lands i think that this um the milwaukee bucks winning the championship two years ago extended his coaching career by two years because if you remember from before that time that they won a ring the entire discussion around mike budenholzer was is he good enough to get the Bucks to where they need to go? And the answer that season was yes, right? Because Giannis was so dynamic. He was such a fantastic player, and he still is. You know, he's still one of the top three, maybe even top two best players in the NBA right now, um, in my opinion. And, you know, the question always was, can this team get over the hump? And they did. And then they kept Mike Budenholzer, and then they came back last year, and they kind of had a disappointing season, I guess, going out in the second round. And then this year you come back and you get utterly embarrassed by the Miami Heat. Um, So I I think it was time for Milwaukee to move on from Bud, which is too bad because I think that Bud isn't an awful coach. But I also don't think that he's one of those top upper echelon coaches that we have in the league this year. Um, So I don't really see him landing someplace this upcoming season. I see him taking a year off from coaching and then coming back to a program that needs him, you know, in the, in the coming season. I see seasons. him I see him getting in the booth somewhere. Maybe wow. he'll join the Turner Sports Group. I that would be interesting to say. Like the Sean least. Payton, I don't know if he's going to Sean do that. Payton in the last NFL season took a year off and joined Fox and now is the head coach of the Denver Broncos. I think I could see him doing something like that. Maybe working for ESPN. We'll see. Maybe. That's a bold prediction. Maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. Bold prediction. That is very bold. That is very bold. All right. Well, I, I mean, I don't have anything else to say. That kind of wraps up our episode. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Jack Burn. And I'm Alex Penders. Go on a three. Go on a three. All right. I've